This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. So if you have your own copy of God's Word and want to follow along there, you can. Or it'll be on the screen for us. Acts chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 34 through 43. So let's hear God's Word together today. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in both, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this uh, proclamation of the good news through Peter some short time after your son had come and died and resurrected for us. God, thank you for a clear proclamation that he gave to us of the good news of the gospel and that it was indeed for people in every nation. God, may your heart, your desire, your love for people in every nation be evident to us today and may it, may it motivate us. May God, may our hearts be shaped to become more like your heart through this, the proclamation of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Last Sunday, we started a little bit of a different series from our usual. Our, our regular practice is to preach uh, just, just through a portion of the Bible. We call that sequential exposition. But occasionally, we'll take a, a theme for a certain period of time. So this month of May, we're taking the, the third part of our mission statement, which is advancing the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're focusing our mind and heart there. And to do so, I, I use this image uh, of a concourse. And described that, that uh, the church can be, you know, compared to a number of things. One of those could be a concourse. We as a church, we gather together regularly, but we gather together for the sake of being sent out. Just as people come together in an airport or a train terminal, they come there for a time, but they don't live there. They are sent out from there to all different places. And so it is for us as a church. We come and we gather here, but then we are sent out to the ends of the earth. Last week, I showed you a lot of pictures and described uh, probably at more length than you want. Uh, this picture, this, this image, the Oculus, which is at the World Trade Center and is the hub for a number of subway trains and other uh, parts uh, of, of the traveling and the commuting around New York City. Over a million people come through this one concourse every single week from all over the world and to all over the world. And while we, are, uh, we don't quite see a million people here at Infinity on a weekly basis, the similarity is the same. People come here from all over and we are sent out to all over. We are a concourse. This week I want to point out another similarity 
that we may have with the oculus. Most uh, people that come through this particular um, uh, concourse on any given day are, are probably, the majority of them, are the, the daily commuters. The daily commuters. And they have some kind of regular pattern, whether it be uh, around New York, wherever else they may be, be headed. So, for instance, if somebody lived on the Upper East Side of Manhattan at the corner of Park Avenue and 110th Street, and they worked down at Times Square, they would want to take this, the, one of the green trains, like the 6 train, and ride it down to Grand Central Station, and then transfer over to one of the purple trains, like the 7 train, and then get off at Times Square, right? That would be their regular pattern. And day in, day out, they would do that over and over again. Maybe once a week they would have the pattern of having to get from there down to the lower Manhattan. So they would take the yellow N or R train down to this Oculus. And so they would once a week or so pass through the, uh, that one place. We, we all have our regular routes, do we not? We have our regular patterns kind of week in, week out. The roads and the paths that we travel and the people that we come in contact with along those routes. So for instance, I pretty frequently am running up and down Main Street in Fountain Inn because I live off of Main Street. Then I spend a fair amount of time on Fairview Street and Fairview Street Extension because I come here a lot. I spend a lot of time on Quillen Avenue or Watson Street right off of Main Street or, or 418 really south of, of Main if I'm coming from that side or sections of 385 and Harrison Bridge. I just run these same roads over and over and over again. Like we all have our autopilots of all these normal routes that we take. Last week, we talked about being ambassadors for Christ in all those places. Wherever you're already going, wherever you're, God has so directed your path in His incredible sovereignty, in His wise providence, He has put you in all those places. You, all the routes you run, the places you go, the roads you take, the people you come in contact with, those are not accidents. God has put you there. And God has called us ambassadors for Christ, ministers of reconciliation, carrying the gospel with you, not just Sundays to church, but every day in all the paths and all the places you go. That is what it means to be a Christian and to be a follower of Christ, advancing the kingdom in all those places. And yet, I want to ask you one other thing about those routes that you take. If all of us only stick to those routes, if all of us stick to our roads and our paths that we go on a normal basis, and never leave them, how will the people who don't live on those routes ever hear the name of Jesus? Now, of course, I, I know that you don't drive down the road 45 miles an hour pre preaching the gospel out the window, right? I get it. But I hope you can follow my point here. If we only stick to our regular routes, our, the regular people we come in contact with, and never intentionally get off those paths and seek out other people, then there are going to be people who don't know the name of the Lord. I travel 418 south of, of, of uh, Main Street more often than I go north. And I'm grateful for some of you that live north. Y'all spend more time there, right? We need people in different places, and we've got to get off our regular paths if we're ever going to share the gospel with people who don't live on our normal paths. Our, our passage today is about that kind of thing, about somebody, namely Peter, who was in his normal place, normal places, spending time with people like him, and then God intervened and put him somewhere he had never been before. And I want to ask you about that in your life. What does it look like for us to be open and to be willing to be ambassadors for Christ wherever you already are and other places too? 
as God sends us out off our regular paths, out of our normal, out of our comfort zone, to be a blessing, to be an ambassador in different places with the gospel. Acts 10 and 11 really takes one and a half, almost two full chapters to tell this incredible story between uh, a man named Cornelius, a Roman centurion or Italian cohort there, and the, the apostle, the disciple, Peter. And anytime a story takes any length of time in the Bible, you know it must be important. God used a lot of words, but he didn't waste words. And so if a story like this one takes a lot of words, it should draw our attention to say, this really matters. I'm just going to summarize the, the whole piece for you, but I encourage you to take some time to read this whole account if you haven't recently. A man named Cornelius honored God, but he didn't know anything about Jesus. And one day an angel from the Lord showed up and told him that he needed to call for, send for a man named Peter. Cornelius was terrified, didn't really know exactly what was going on. But when an angel shows up and tells you to do something, you do it. So he sends messengers to find this guy named Peter a couple towns away. While those messengers are on the way to meet Peter, Peter is staying with somebody else named Simon on top of a rooftop, and he gets a vision from the Lord. That vision is a sheet that gets dropped down from heaven, and on that sheet are all kinds of different animals that would have been unclean for the Jewish people to eat. And he hears a voice that says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter responds like a faithful, obedient Jewish person should and says, God, I would never do that kind of thing. That's, that's unclean. I would not eat that. He says, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. But God spoke to him and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. And then we get a little note that this happened three times. Three times Peter has this interaction with God in this vision. God then told him there's going to be messengers that show up at your door and are asking you to go meet somebody else named Cornelius. Sure enough, right after that happens, messengers show up. When God tells you to do something, it happens, you follow along. So Peter goes with the messengers back to Cornelius' house, and he's amazed at God organizing and orchestrating all these things. This was maybe seems somewhat, you know, it's miraculous to us just to hear those parts, but the piece of this story that's important for, for understanding the, the progression, the, the, the advancement of the kingdom, is that Peter is Jewish, Cornelius was not. He was a Gentile. And this was such a big deal in that moment, in that time, uh, Peter even tells Cornelius, standing in his own house, he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit with any other nation. He's saying this is, this is against our norms. We don't do this. We don't just hang out with people who are not Jewish. It's kind of a tough way to be welcomed into a home. Like, hey, we're, I'm not supposed to be here. This is unlawful. But that's what he did. Peter later on is criticized by the Jews when they said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? The first century Jewish world, they said, this, this, this shouldn't be. Jews and Gentiles do not associate with one another. And yet by the direction of God's Spirit Himself with multiple visions and clear revelation from the Lord, Peter is supposed to be there. And Cornelius is anticipating, waiting for Peter's message. He tells him, Acts 10, 33, Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've commanded, been commanded by the Lord. How about that for a setup for a sermon, <laughs> right? All these visions, all this had to get, had take place so we can hear the message, Peter. Tell us what you got to tell us. Like if that's not a softball in preaching, I don't know what is, right? 
Tell us what you got to tell us. And I love Peter's reply because he preaches the gospel. And he's preaching the gospel, one, as somebody who knew Jesus himself. But he's preaching the gospel right after the gospel was accomplished. We are probably less than a year out from Jesus' death and resurrection. And what's amazing is that it's the same gospel we preach today, 2,000 years later. I love hearing these sermons in the book of Acts because they are, are people right there next to Jesus. They, they lived with Him. They knew Him. And they're proclaiming the gospel message. So we could spend a lot of time in all of Acts 10 and 11, but for our purposes this morning, I really want to focus in on Peter's sermon and ask three questions. I printed them in your bulletin as our progression through this passage. But the three questions I want to, I want to see how Peter answers is, what is the gospel? Who is it for? And what is our role to play? Peter answers each of those. What is the gospel? Who is it for? And what is our role? What's our part in this mission? So starting with the first question, Peter very clearly answers this. What is the gospel? And this is how Peter, this is my summary of Peter's summary. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection accomplished forgiveness of sins for all who believe in Him. I'll say that one more time. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection accomplishes forgiveness of sins for all who believe in Him. Peter's central message as he proclaimed the, the gospel to this Gentile group is the same gospel message he preached in Acts chapter 2 to the Jews, the same gospel message that Peter and others, I mean, yeah, Peter and Paul and others would preach throughout the rest of the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. Verse 36, he starts by saying, As for the word that he sent, God sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He's proclaiming this is good news. And that word in the original is one, one word, preaching the good news. All just one word in the original, euangelizo, coming from the root word euangelion, where we get the word evangelism, right? The good news. I have good news to tell you. It is something that has been accomplished for you and is a proclamation of peace. And that's good news if you recognize that beforehand you didn't have peace. The importance of peace is that before Christ, we did not have peace with God. Why? Because we messed it up. Our sin is what broke the, the relationship between us and God. And Peter is proclaiming God has made a way for us to have peace. How did he do that? He says, Jesus, God sent Jesus. Verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He says somebody came as a helper. Somebody came to make a difference. And he had incredible power. Demons fled. People were healed. It was amazing to see his life. A beautiful life. A perfect life, in fact. But not only that, he also died a death. Verse 39, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Now, as you hear that, that may sound odd. Wait, didn't Jesus die on a cross? Why did he call it a tree? Peter and the other disciples, just a short time after Jesus' death, have already started to piece together the significance of the cross. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, the Old Testament tells us that anybody who is hung on a tree is cursed. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus went to the cross, went to a tree, because He took the curse of God, the punishment for our sins, on Himself, 
instead of on all those of us who believe. His death was a substitution. It was in our place. He took on a curse. And the good news doesn't stop there. Verse 40, God raised him on the third day. Jesus defeated sin and death by coming back to life. And Peter makes sure that he clarifies Jesus wasn't just a ghost. It says he ate with us. He ate and drank with us. Jesus had a physical body. It was a bodily resurrection. And so it says there were witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He is alive. He is truly alive. That is the good news for us. And he says it's for verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The name of Jesus. Peter delivers a, delivers a seer, a simple, clear. If you combine those words, it's seer, apparently. Simple, clear gospel presentation to Cornelius and the Gentiles and says, this is the message. This is the message. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection accomplished forgiveness of sins for all who believe in Him. We were separated. God brought us, reconciled us together. And that's the same message we proclaim, is it not? Here we are 2,000 years later, on the opposite side of the globe, speaking a language that hadn't even been invented when Peter was preaching. And we're preaching the same message. You know why that is such good news? Because if our salvation, our gospel, was dependent upon the rise and the fall of culture, we would have no assurance. There would be no rock beneath our feet. It would be the ebb and the flow of the waves. But our message is as old as this message and older than that. We are preaching today the same message. The good news you have for your neighbor, for your coworkers, for your kids is the same message Peter was proclaiming all those years ago. And the, the, the authenticity of it, the truth of it, it is affirmed by it's the same, same one. We're preaching the same message. The gospel is un. Changing Culture changes, people change, times change, language change. We have to change how exactly we get this message across and all the things that happen with culture. But the core gospel message, the rock beneath our feet, is unchanging. The only way to be saved is through Christ. And for all who believe in Him, who repent of their sins, who see Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can be saved. That is the gospel message. One of the reasons this, this passage in Acts is so significant is that Peter is delivering the same message he's already delivered. But now he's delivering that same message to a new group of people. And that's where I want to take us this morning. Peter had been born and raised a Jew, living with Jews, spending most of his time with Jews, and up to this point only preaching the gospel to the Jews. But here in Acts 10 and 11, the gospel goes beyond that. Now, it's not the first time a non-Jewish person has come to know the Lord or even believed in Jesus just a couple chapters before. An Ethiopian comes to know the Lord. So it's not, it's not that. It's the first time. But in these two chapters, you, you recognize that there is a shift in the way the gospel is going forth. The, the occasional Gentile is no longer going to be the outlier. This is going to be how the gospel is going to spread and spread rapidly. Not just to one, among one people group, but to all different people groups. I love that as you read this, there are parts of the story that get repeated three times. Each of these visions, Cornelius's and Peter's, they happen. They get told to one another that they happened. And then Peter retells it all again to his Jewish friends. And it's like to, as Luke is recording this, he's like, I'm going to write this down three times so you don't forget it. 
I always appreciate repetition in the Bible. Helps me a lot. So they preached the gospel. Peter preached the gospel. That's what he preached. Then the second question I want you to see is, who is it for? What's the gospel and who is it for? Here's who it's for. God shows no partiality, saving people from all nations. God shows no partiality, saving people from all nations. This is a turning point in the book of Acts. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, the passage Caitlin read for us, Jesus told them what's going to happen. He says, you'll be my witnesses. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses, proclaiming the gospel, preaching the good news in Jerusalem, the city you're in right now, Judea and Samaria, the areas around you, and to the ends of the earth. And that verse serves kind of like a, a table of contents for the book of Acts. You want to know what Acts is about? It's about that. They preach in Jerusalem. Then later on, they preach in Judea and Samaria, eight, chapter 8, verse 1. Here in 10, 11, it spreads a little further. Acts 13, they start going out to all the nations. That's the story of the book of Acts, beginning to end. So Peter is on the front lines of the gospel going to places that it hadn't been before. He's not going to places that already know the name of Jesus. He's preaching to people who've never heard about Jesus. And he's proclaiming that this good news, this message as Peter is coming to learn now for himself, is not just for one group of people. It's for people in all nations. That's where he starts his message. Verse 34, God shows no partiality. God is not a discriminate God in the sense that he discriminates somebody against somebody because of their race or their ethnicity or the language that they speak. God is proclaiming his good news, verse 43, to everyone who believes in him that they receive the same forgiveness. And those people, it says in verse 35, are in every nation. In every nation. Those who fear God, those who honor Him, those who believe in Him, come from all different tribes, all different places. Those are the people of God. God is not limited to one little group, one little language, one little space in history. And that is a unique claim to Christianity. I hope you realize that. I'm no historian but if you just know just a little bit about how the, the Egyptians lived, for instance, they invented their own gods and their own system, and these were the Egyptian gods. Or take the, the Roman world, and you know a little about Roman gods and goddesses and all that they had, or the, the Greek, the Greek Rome uh, goddesses and gods. Or take the Chinese system, or, or anybody in Nepal, and all, all these different places, they have their religion that says, this is our God, and how we worship our God. You have your God, we have our God. The one true God is not like that. He is the God over all peoples, all languages, all times, all places. God is unique in His claim to be the God over all people. So as Peter proclaimed his message to the Gentiles that day gathered in Cornelius' home, we get to verse 44, and this is what we hear. When Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. God intervenes in the moment to make sure they recognize the same thing that happened to you in chapter 2 is now happening to the Gentiles in chapter 10. One God, one true Lord, all different peoples worshiping and being led by the same one. Those people did not have to become Jews to become Christians. They received God and could worship Him. I, I want you to know this is, is so dear, so near to the heart of God. 
as we study the Bible from beginning to end, there are ways that we see God better and better as we go. We talk about the progressive revelation of God. We understand God a little bit better. But He is unchanging. His nature is the same. And He has had a heart for people from all nations from the beginning. Go back to Genesis chapter 11, and that's where all the nations begin. At the Tower of Babel, in our own sin, God scatters us and gives us different nation, different languages that become different nations. In the very next chapter, God calls out a man named Abram, who would be called Abraham later. And do you know the promise that God gives to Abraham? Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless you, those who bless you, you I'm sorry, I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God had a plan. The same people who just rebelled against Him and been scattered in Genesis 11, God says, I'm going to use you, Abraham. You don't even have any kids yet, but I'm going to use you to bless all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth. God's heart was for everybody from the beginning. And He called one man to Himself in order to bless all. And going through the Old Testament, that same heart happens over and over again. Take the book of Exodus when people are leaving out of Exodus, the Israelites, all the hundreds of thousands of them, do you know who goes with them? It says a mixed multitude. Egyptians around the nation of Israel said, I, I see what God's doing in Israel. I want to be a part of that rather than be a part of this group that's being destroyed by these plagues. And Egyptians come and be a part of the nation of Israel. We get foretastes of people like Ruth or Rahab, non-Jewish people that come into God's people and become a part of God's people. Isaiah, during the time of exile, while the people are all scattered abroad, God makes a promise to them. He said, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Do you hear what he said there? He says, You're coming back. Israel, the, the Jewish people, the Israelite people, you are coming back to me, but not you alone. You are going to be a light. All the nations are going to see me through you. That's God's heart in, in the book of Isaiah. When Jesus lived, he loved and spent time mostly with Jewish people. But we get foretastes of what God's going to do. Like in, in Mark chapter 5, where a demon-possessed man among the Gentiles is freed from his demon and becomes a follower, believer in Jesus. Or John chapter 4, when Jesus loves a Samaritan woman. Or John, Mark chapter 7, when a Syrophoenician woman puts her faith in Jesus Christ. And at the end of Jesus' life, when He is about to ascend back to the Father, you know what He calls His disciples to do? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we read Peter proclaiming the gospel to the people in Cornelius' home and says there are people in every nation, it's the same word, ethne, the same, same heart, God, loves people from all nations and is calling people to himself from all nations. And he will accomplish his purpose. The final day, when we are with Christ around the throne, we will not only see people who look like us and sound like us and speak our language. Praise God. Revelation chapter 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
and you have made them a kingdom of priests on our, to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. When Peter proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, this was not a new part of God that, they, that, that, that just showed up that day. Peter's coming to understand it for the first time, but this has been God's heart from the beginning. Is it ours? Do, do you love the nations? Do we love the nations? God, from the beginning and has promised in the end, He is a God who is saving people from all the nations. The gospel is not for one group of people. It is for all the nations. So Peter gets to live and experience that when he says, Truly I understand God shows no partiality. He got to be a part of it, proclaiming the gospel in every nation. God's heart has been for the nations. And if that is true, which it is, it should impact how we live. It should change the places we go. It should impact the routes we take on a weekly, monthly, yearly, annual, a 10-year. We should change what we do if God's heart is for not just people that look like us, but for all the nations. If we're going to align our hearts, our lives, our church family with the heart of God, it means advancing the kingdom of God can't only be limited to how we go about our daily lives that we were doing anyway. There has to be more. It includes that, but it has to be more. What is the gospel? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection accomplished forgiveness of sins for everybody who believes in Him. Who is it for? It's for all nations. So what's our role to play? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we proclaim the gospel across cultural barriers. We have to be willing to step outside of where we already are because God is bringing people to Himself from people that aren't already where you are. He's in that, he's in that business. That is His heart, His mission, His goal. And He is accomplishing it. He's inviting us to be a part of it. But if we only ever stay inside our bubble, we won't participate in that part of His mission. It's worth pointing out where I started that sentence that this only happens if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's true of people that like, are like us and people who aren't. The only way anybody ever comes to know the Lord is if the Spirit of God is in it and God is changing people's hearts. Acts 10 and 11, you can't miss it. The Holy Spirit is directing, literally directing people with visions. We don't get a promise that we'll get a vision every time God wants us to go somewhere different, okay? But it is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, directed Peter to Cornelius, and Cornelius to Peter. That same Spirit is in you if you know Jesus. And He will direct you, and He will guide you, and He will counsel you and give you wisdom. And He will do that through other people who know Him and have the Spirit inside of Him. And when we go... The only way our message has any fruit is if God gives the growth. We plant, others water, God gives the growth. And when God empowers us, He can empower us to do things that seem supernatural, because they are. And that is to build relationships, to share the gospel, to proclaim the kingdom of God to people that aren't like us, don't speak our language, don't come from the places we come from, look different than us. That's God's heart. Is it ours? Last week we mentioned that we are all ministers of the gospel of reconciliation. We are all that. We're all ministers. We're not all missionaries. Missionaries cross some kind of cultural line, whether it be a, to a different country or a different language, different, different culture of some kind. 
They're coming from a place where the gospel is to a place where it's not. And so we send people as missionaries, like the Cook family. You may know that they were here for just a short little window of time. The last 10 days they were in town for a wedding. So I got to spend some time with Alex on Thursday doing not, not normal ministry stuff. He's helping me doing construction. It was fun. We got to do normal things. It was fun. But I also spent some time asking him about the mission field. And I'll tell you, it's hard. It is so hard. And I actually just got a message from Candace. They're, they're supposed to be flying to Mexico this morning. And their flight, they had some kind of flight trouble. They had to get rearranged. They're in a different airport they're supposed to be. So trying to make it to San Luis Potosí today, you could pray for them that they'll get there eventually. But I say that to say for multiple reasons, pray, pray for them. One of our roles in missions is to be supporting and loving our missionaries. And the cooks are, have given it all. They've moved. They're in Mexico serving. They've been there about a year and a half. They've been on language school in Guatemala and now in Mexico. And you, you without even knowing, you just know that's going to be hard. Three young kids, and we are so grateful that they are going and proclaiming the gospel. One of our roles is to pray for them, support them, be there for them. Be faithful church family and continue to support them. And don't let, all them, let, let them have all the fun to themselves. I invite you to participate in that. Whether it's, whether it's doing that, becoming a missionary, or we don't have to be overly technical about definitions, but living missionally, loving people who are different than you around you, but maybe not in all the places you already are. I, I, wanna, I, I think there is a way that our, our culture has stolen some of God's heart and, and, and removed it from God and tried to hold on to it. It's popular in our culture to talk about you know, buzzwords like um, diversity or inclusion or, or tolerance. And so often those are get associated with kind of social and political agendas that mean all kinds of other things. So we're right to reject kind of the, the non-biblical things that, that go there. But I want, you to, I want to call you back to, to God's word and say, hey, just because the culture is twisting and, and misforming some things about uh, celebrating diversity doesn't mean we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. We want to love people who are different than us. God created the diversity around us and he called us to love all the different people so that we can lo and love them enough to share the gospel with them. God's heart is for the nations because he is glorified when people from different languages and different backgrounds worship the same God. I don't know if you've had that experience of being around Christians who speak a different language and, and are worshiping in a different way, but it does something to your worldview when you go, wow, these people don't sound like me, and they're worshiping the same God. There is a beauty and a glory to that. Just imagine what heaven's going to be like with all the different languages, all the different peoples are all praising the same God. Let that be our heartbeat so that we are following God's heart. As a church family, I, I, just, I consistently pray that we would be the kind of people who are advancing the kingdom among people who maybe aren't like us. I'm praying for a, a ministry to people who speak Spanish in our area, whether it's just a Hispanic ministry or, or Spanish-speaking church plant one day. I would love to be a part of that right here in Fountain Inn. We, we've had a, a season years ago where we really invested a lot into people who had been coming from some kind of addiction background, and that ministry has fallen off, and we're praying that that would be something that God raises up and brings to here. What other ways is God leading us to love people that are 
are different from us, that are hard to reach, that are challenging. Yes, we should be witnesses to people that are around us every day. But if we stop there, we're missing something in God's heart. Love our neighbor and the nations. Love people like us and people not like us. Since it's Mother's Day, I, I thought about how much our moms often model this for us. Do they not? Because though if, you're, if your children are biological, then they probably have a lot of similarities to you. They may look like you. They may have a lot of your habits. But if you've been a parent for more than, you know, like a day, then you know all of our kids are different, aren't they? And they've got all their different, different personalities and all the different things about them. So to be a parent is to love somebody who is different than you. And that is hard. And some of the best people that do this are moms. You are self-sacrificing. You give so much for your kids. You're loving people who are different than you in the way you love your own children. That's the heart of God. Sacrificing for people who are different than us. Last week, I challenged you to have a spiritual conversation with somebody you might not otherwise. Somebody kind of in your own, own circles that maybe doesn't yet know the Lord. Today, I, I want to challenge you to go one step further. Find somebody who's not already in your circles and have a spiritual conversation with them. Ask somebody you wouldn't normally about how you can pray for them. Maybe they look different than you. Maybe they talk different than you. Don't tell them that before you ask them to how you're going to pray for them. But intentionally cross some, some, some line and say, I, I, want to, I want to build relationships with people who are not like me. I'll tell you, somebody did that for me, to me, last week. A couple of people were there with me. We, Mount Zion Baptist Church on the other side of town, other side of uh, Fountain Inn, that is a predominantly black church, invited me and a couple of the pastors and some other people to a Building Bridges breakfast. And their goal was, hey, so many times our culture wants to put walls in between people like you and me. We want to build bridges. And I tell you, I was so moved by being invited into their church and being fed a wonderful breakfast and sharing a meal with them. I felt so loved by that. And I want to be able to pay that forward. What does it look like for us to minister to people, to love people that are different than us? Because that's God's heart. That's God's heart. It's only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. But with Him, He can do amazing things. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your heart for people that aren't like You because all of us are not like You. God, You loved us while we were enemies, while we were sinners. You died for us while we were rejecting You. And You have redeemed us and restored us and brought us back into relationship with You. God, may Your missionary heart, Your desire to love the nations, may that be our heart too. May we see the steps you have made, the steps you have taken to bring about a people to worship you among all tribes and languages and nations. And God, may we participate in it. May you lead Infinity Church, our, our group of people. May we be a part of advancing your kingdom near and far to our neighbors and to the nations. For the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.